Good morning, everybody. Um, it's 11.53 a.m. So, yeah, good morning, good afternoon. Uh, I'm Jeremiah, host of the Gem Arrow Podcast, where we drop gems and we get right to the point. Um, today, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm not really feeling an introduction. I'm coming at you straight. And uh, we're going to talk about Brian Flores and the black disparity in the NFL. Now, this is a topic... That's so polarizing because it's not like it's so often that you see the sports world collide with the real world, especially when it comes to like racial issues. Um, But this is important because uh, essentially this one man is kind of putting his foot in the ground and trying to take a stand the same way that others have before and failed. Um, And the the most and the least that we can do is talk about it. I just want to say up front, I'm very opinionated. Very. I don't give a damn about anybody trying to say this, that, or the other. I used to argue with so many people about the Colin Kaepernick protests, and I'm not even with the argument. I'm, I'm, I, I speak my damn mind, and that's what I'm gonna do. And you're gonna hear it. So this is your warning right now. If you don't like the history and the facts that I'm gonna be talking about, and then afterwards the opinions that I'm gonna be saying, um, this is your warning to go ahead and sign off. Um, at the end of the day, this podcast, I made this so that I can use my voice to make a difference. I'm extremely outspoken and it, it would be, it would be a disservice to me and a disservice to all the people that know me as the outspoken person that I am. If I wasn't using this podcast exactly for what I wanted to make it for in the beginning, and that's to talk about these kind of issues. So here we go. So Brian Flores, he is, uh, he was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He was there for three years. Uh, the first year they were expected, they had no expectations for the team. They were expected to really just tank for Tua, essentially. Tua Tugavailoa uh, was a national champion at the college level for Alabama, and it seemed like written in destiny that Tua was going to go to the Dolphins. They were talking about that for, for two years. Um, it's what Tua wanted, and it seems like that's what the NFL wanted. So when Brian Flores first first got hired, I'm going to say 2018, it might have been 2019, but when he first got hired, um, oh, I think it was 2019. When he first got hired in 2019, they had no expectations for the team. So they were just expected to just tank for Tua and and get as high of a draft pick as possible. They made plenty of trades to get themselves more first-round picks, and they were just going to get as good as... So essentially what happened was Brian Flores uh, showed his coaching prowess. That first year, they went 5-11. Um, and even though five and 11 is not that good of a record, you definitely saw very good coaching ability. Ryan Fitzpatrick was their leading rusher that year. And he also had a really good passing year. Um, there was a lot to like about that team. Then they went into the next year. They had expectations. Um, I believe 2020, uh, was the year that Tua was drafted. Yes. 2020 was the year that Tua was drafted and essentially they didn't give him the starting job. Uh, they let Ryan Fitzpatrick keep the helm. Coach Brian Flores uh, essentially had to take this team that was still very, very young with these early draft picks and uh, turn them into a team to build on the previous year with good expectations. They went 10-6, and and they were one game out of not making the playoffs, which is funny because in any other year, 10-6 and would have been a playoff year, but they were one game out. Then came last year, 2021. In 2021, they started the season 1-7. They were horrible. And funny enough, Brian Flores showed his coaching ability once again and turned that team around on a pivot. They ended the season with an 8-1 record. They ended the year 9-8 and, and, and once again was one game out of making the playoffs. 
Now, I know what you're saying. Well, they didn't make the playoffs. Well, does, there's a difference between a team that is destined to make the playoffs, even if they have a, a different, a, a adequate coach, and a team that really had didn't have expectations to make the playoffs and end up getting there or almost getting there because of a good coach. In 2021, Tua Tuga was constantly hurt. Jacoby Brissett was was their starter for a handful of games. Um, they 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 had a, a running back room that was like Kalen Bellage and 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 all of these other players. Uh, Devontae Parker was constantly hurt. That defense, even though it was really good, uh, was pretty inconsistent. So, but it's still completely incredible to have a coach. Um, not only start out one and seven and anybody any team that starts out one and seven could say you know what the season is done let's just you know tank for a good draft pick and then turn on a pivot and end the season nine and eight that's really incredible it takes an incredible coach to do that what happened after that brian flores got fired like david culley and the texans brian flores got fired because stephen ross the team owner and and brian flores apparently was having philosophical differences that sounded weird to me from the start um, and then you'll figure out why as I read off some of these facts that I did when I did my research. Um, they fired him and everybody was like, oh, he's expected to be a top head coaching candidate. A bunch of other play, uh, team head coaches got fired and a couple of GMs. There, I believe there were eight head coaching opportunities to start out and like three or four GM head coaching or GM opportunities. Um, I'm sitting here on February 2nd. It, it's been roughly about a month, maybe like three weeks since that Black Monday happened and uh, all those coaches got fired. And of those eight positions, uh, now there are four or five of them left. No black coaches have been hired. You're talking about candidates like Todd Bowles, who won a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers as one of the best top five defenses in the NFL. And in like the three, four years he's been there, they have been a top five defensive unit in all those years. Eric Bieniemy is pretty much one of the main reasons why Patrick Mahomes has been on the tear that he's been on offensively. He's an offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs as their offensive coordinator. Um, you're talking about Brian Leftwich, the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's so many, Vance, um, uh, Vance Joseph is the defensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals. He's done a pretty good job and has head coaching, um, head coaching pedigree. There are so many black coaches that deserved an opportunity to get a head coaching job to this point you still may see one you know there's still five openings left but i knew from the jump that it was going to be weird and it has been there hasn't been a black coach hired and that's why brian flores decided after doing a couple of interviews and not getting an offer i'm not going to wait for the rest of this coaching uh this coaching um cycle to go through i'm going to do something about it right now so he's suing the nfl and he's suing the New York Giants for racial discrimination um, and for using him as a Rooney Rule fulfillment. Now, you're going to hear Rooney Rule um, throughout this podcast episode, and you're going to see it all over the place. What is the Rooney Rule? For those of you that don't know, the Rooney Rule, I believe, was established in 2003. It effectively uh, forced every single team, they have to interview at least one minority head coach or executive position um, for a opportunity to be uh, hired. 
That's essentially what it is. And they expanded on that a few years ago, maybe two years ago. And they said coaches are teams that hire minority coaches or minority executive positions like GM or uh, um, or uh, I don't want to say CEO, but executive player personnel and all of that. Teams that hired a minority coach got an extra draft pick. And it was something good, like a third round pick, which, you know, Russell Wilson was a third round pick. So you could, there's plenty of talent in the top three rounds to get. And so essentially... Since that rule, the disparity for black coaches has still existed. It doesn't matter what they incentivize in the Rooney rule. It doesn't matter that they require it. They interview all of these positions and they still don't hire anybody. Now, people, people, dumb people, ignorant people are, are saying, oh, well, that's racism because you're forcing them to have to interview a black coach instead of them just interviewing who they think is the best man for the job. Yeah, well, when 70 years goes by in the NFL um, and, and NFL affiliate teams like in the past before there was the merger and you still have like 1% black head coaches, no black owners, almost no black GMs and any uh, other minorities like that, that's a problem. It's not about the best man for the job. You're not going to convince me that over 70 years, there has not been handfuls at a time of black coaches and black GMs and black executive positional uh, personnel that would have been good for the job. That's not that's not best man for the job. That's 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 uh, I dare say it's oppression. It really is. So uh, here's what Brian Flores Flores is alleging in his class action lawsuit. Bill Belichick texted him about Brian Dable getting the job three days before the Flores interview. Here's the content, the backstory on that, the contents, context. Um, Brian Dable is, is the, was the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen was an MVP candidate underneath of him. Uh, he was one of the highest sought after head coaching position, but Brian Flores also um, is in that position and was had the opportunity to interview for the New York Giants head coaching position. The problem was Bill Belichick, the head coach of the Patriots, uh, who Brian Flores used to uh, work underneath while they were winning all that Super Bowls. I believe he was the linebackers coach. Um, Bill Belichick texted Brian Flores and said, congratulations on the New York Giants job. Brian Flores said, um, I didn't, I haven't had my interview yet. My interview is on Thursday. It's not for a couple of days. And Brian Flores followed up by saying, just to ask coach, do you mean Brian Flores, me or Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator for the Bills? And then Bill Belichick said, and I quote, sorry for my language, looks like I, I fucked this up. That's what he said. He said he meant to, he meant to thank uh, Brian Flores for getting the job, but Brian Dable is the one that got it. That is an indication that Brian Flores has a leg to stand on because he hadn't even had his interview yet. And they already had selected the person they were going to hire for the job, which shows that they were just bringing Brian Flores in as a Rooney rule, uh, a Rooney rule uh, fulfillment. They weren't giving him an actual shot because he hadn't had his interview yet and they already chose this guy. Uh, Steven Ross, the Dolphins owner, told him that he would give him 100K for every loss that the Dolphins tanked when he kept winning and was labeled as a difficult person to work with. Context. I believe it was the year they wanted to draft. Um, they wanted to draft uh, Joe Burrow, number one overall. I believe that was the same year that they drafted Tua, number five overall. Uh, Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, wanted uh, Brian Flores to tank the year. They wanted him to get the number one overall pick, or at least get a pick that could get the number one pick in a trade to draft Joe Burrow. Brian Flores 
as he already said in his ESPN interview, is not the type of person to just throw away wins. So he kept winning. This was the year that they went 5-11. That's why they had the number 5 overall pick. Um, after that, that's the philosophical differences that started to take a toll on Brian Flores' relationship with the Miami Dolphins as a head coach. They labeled him as difficult to work with because he kept winning. Last I checked, the job in the NFL was to continue to win, not tank because you want to tank and get the player that you want. Your head coach has a job. It's not up to the head coach, essentially, who they pick. There are head coaches that have a hand in that selection process because at the end of the day, they're coaching the players that they want to coach. But it's their job to coach the team to win. And so for anybody that's trying to, like, especially the owner of the team, to tell him to purposely lose, that's essentially a problem, especially offering some type of grant bonuses, like $100,000, to continue to lose. <laughs> that's a joke. Next, they tried to set him up on a yacht with tampering rules to recruit a prominent quarterback. Uh, Brian Flores also puts in his class action suit that Stephen Ross, the owner of the uh, Miami Dolphins, invited him out to his yacht on uh, one winter. He went out there for lunch, and then conveniently, one of the quarterbacks that Stephen Ross had wanted Brian Flores to prominently uh, to recruit had conveniently showed up at the same yacht. Brian Flores set, looked at this as a setup. He left. Because that's tampering and it's against the law. It's against the NFL rules, against the NFL policies. Um, and everybody jokes about tampering, but at the end of the day, when you're a head coach and you're involved in tampering, that's 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 huge trouble for you, especially if you're a black coach. Moving on, Giants have never had a black coach in their 100 years as, an, uh, as a franchise. Um, in 2019, Brian Flores interviewed with the, Bron the, with the Broncos for their head coaching position. That was the same offseason he got hired as the Miami Dolphins head coach. Um, the John Elway, the GM, and the team CEO showed up, and they had obviously been drinking the, the night before. They obviously were inebriated. They obviously were showing signs of having heavy hangovers. Um, shortly after that, Vic Vangio was hired. These are all the things that Brian Flores is alleging in his class action lawsuit. Now for a little bit of history. We're going to talk about the relationship between black people and the NFL and why, one, why I'm so pissed off and, and excited to talk about this, but two, why even though so many ignorant, and I will continue to say that, ignorant people say for black people to stop complaining because the world is so equal now, why it's not really as equal as you would think. Number one, there's 32 owners in the NFL. None of them are black. Number two, 32 head coaches, only one of them are black. Like I said, there were three black head coaches, David Culley, Mike Tomlin, Brian Flores, and Ron Rivera is considered a minority um, a minority coach too with the Washington football team. And even he had more job security than black head coaches there. Mike Tomlin is essentially untouchable because he's the first, one of the first black head coaches to win a Super Bowl. I know Tony Dungy won another one, um, but he's got more job security than somebody like David Culley and Brian Flores. Um, of the 32 offensive coordinators, four of them are black. Um, of the of 32 defensive coordinators, only 11 of them are black. Of the 32 uh, teams that have QB coaches, only three of them are black. Um, of the 32 uh, GMs in the NFL, only six of them are black. Now, uh, you bring I can bring up different names that of 
black head coaches that were essentially hired into positions and then used as a scapegoat. Talk about Jim Caldwell, uh, who was fired after getting the Lions a winning season. And we know the Lions are not usually used to winning seasons. Um, Steve Wilkes was hired to the Arizona Cardinals on basically a one-year rental. That was the year they drafted Josh Rosen. Everybody in the NFL and everybody watching the NFL knew that that team had one of the worst rosters of all time. They were essentially a winless team, so they didn't win very much. Steve Wilkes was fired after that, seen as a coaching failure. Um, David Culley, Deshaun Watson is sitting on the, the last seat of the bench with 32 uh, allegations of sexual assault. He is not playing. Uh, David Culley stepped into a Texans job in 2021 that essentially they had four draft picks, um, a third round pick, maybe a, a fourth, I think in two six. Um, a team that was absolutely stripped down to the bare bones because they traded away all their talent. J.J. Watt was not there anymore. Jadevian Kleine was not there anymore. Whitney Merciless was not there anymore. Um, that offensive line was terrible. Everybody knew that. Their wide receivers, not there. The only good one that was there was Brandon Cooks. And they still ended up winning a couple of games that they shouldn't have won. David Culley stepped into this position that third round pick that they had was drafted on a quarterback that essentially, uh, even though he showed a lot better stats, when you look with the eye test, was not very good at playing. Um, those up the back, those back end picks were essentially rotation players. Uh, he had players that were suspended. He had to cut players that didn't want to play for a team that obviously was not in any type of winning position. Um, and still won a couple of games. He got that team to believe in him. He was fired. Um, Brian Flores, seen as another scapegoat. You, you step into a completely rebuilding team. This is why this irritates me so much. Because there are teams that, that take the NBA for example. There are teams that rebuild for four, five, six years. Waiting for either a good coach or a franchise player. Right? <clears throat> Brian Flores stepped into a team in 2019 that was full rebuild. And got them five wins and, and 11 losses. With Ryan Fitzpatrick as his quarterback. Say what you want about how cool Ryan Fitzpatrick is. He's not a good quarterback. He, he's going to be a great quarterback coach one day, but he is not a good quarterback. Five wins and 11 losses. The next year, you follow up five wins and 11 losses with a rookie quarterback sharing, sharing the quarterback room between Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick and the running back room and consistent rotation of injured guys on offense and defense and go 10-6. and six barely missing the playoffs then the next year you it's not about the fact that he went nine and eight it's about the fact that he started the season one in seven when most teams would have quit at that point and then turned it around on a dime and won eight of the last nine games that's ridiculous to me all those coaches jim caldwell steve wilkes david cully brian flores i'm sure you can name a bunch tony dungy was fired off of the buccaneers after a winning season T uh, black head coaches are constantly used as scapegoats in this league um, and you know what's the ironic part about it? This is my last fact about the current NFL. 70% of the league is black. 70% of the players in the league are black. You tell me what that looks like. You've got a majority black workforce being run by white owners, white GMs, white coaches, and any black coaches as brilliant as black coaches should, as brilliant as black coaches are and should be in positions are not given the opportunity. You tell me what that looks like. All right, moving on. What is Brian Flores asking for? Here's what he's asking for. Number one, increase the hiring of black individuals, simply put. Now, before I continue, I, I should go ahead and say this. 
when people sue, and this is in all aspects of the court and judicial system, you ask for everything. You don't ask for, it's not like you're making an NFL trade and you ask for what you think something is worth. You ask, when you're suing for something, you ask for everything that you can get. And then the judge makes the determination, the jury makes a determination of what they will give you based on what you're asking. Example is, let's say you crash your car, somebody hits your car, you, somebody uh, rear-ends you and your car is completely totaled and it costs $10,000 for repair. You're asking for $15,000 for both the hospital bill and $10,000 for repair. The judge may grant you $8,000 for repair and force the person to pay $3,000 for the hospital bills. You ask for everything that you can get and then they, the judge or the jury will give you what they think what they think is worth you getting. Now that's already another problem because the judicial system itself is not fair, but whatever. <clears throat> Anyways, what is he asking for? Increase the hiring of black individuals, simply put. Number two, relay some of the power objectivity in the firing of black coaches and GMs. Now, what does that mean? Essentially, they need these teams to be responsible and accountable for why they're firing black head coaches out of nowhere. Steven Ross firing Brian Flores after having three good coaching years as head coach of the Dolphins. You need They need to start putting some pressure on these owners to explain themselves on why they're firing these coaches and GMs. Number three, ensure more diversity of ownership by finding a committee to sourcing black investors to owning stakes in NFL teams. Um, essentially, this is one of those things where it's like you, you need to ask for everything you can get and see what they'll give you. With this idea, Brian Flores is essentially asking the NFL to create a program for black or minority individuals to be able to become stakeholders to own an NFL team. You're trying to create a solution for the fact that there's no black, um, no black owners. The fact that there's no black owners. All right. Number four, ensure black players and coaches participate in the interview for positions. You're asking for as much as you can get. It's not enough to just have a white owner, white GM, um, and other white personnel individuals sit down and judge you as a black man on if they think you'll make a good coach. Um, to be able to have black players and other black coaches participate in the interview process will put more pressure on them making a more equal decision. Instead of just having the white owner and the white uh, player uh, personnel executive and the white GM sitting there interview you, also invite in the black defensive coordinator. Also bring in, um, let's say like Russell Wilson is a franchise quarterback, bring in Russell Wilson. He should be able to uh, make a decision on what type of coaches he wants hired too. You bring in minority individuals that are on the team and respected like other coaches and franchise players to be in that interview process at the end of the day finding a good coach is about comfortability um it's about finding the right fit and you don't find the right fit when you walk in with predetermined notions next asking teams to put in writing why they're hiring or firing a coach based on influences trust performance and other factors pretty simply put you need to they they you know, everything that's in writing is, is admissible into court. And everything that's in writing that's documented is a paper trail. You need to, they need to start keeping a record of why they're hiring or firing people. Not just saying, oh, philosophical differences. No, you put in writing why you think this coach deserves to be hired or fired. Requiring the NFL, uh, requiring NFL teams to consider comparisons of past performances and experiences. You're asking for everything that you can get. 
Um, take Brian Flores once again. This is why I'm, I'm going to keep using him as as a, a reason for why this stuff makes sense. Uh, you're firing Brian Flores after he had two winning seasons when he didn't need to have two winning seasons. And then that first year gave, gave the NFL reason to believe that the Dolphins were a competitive team. That should be factored in to why you think firing him is okay. That should also factor in for coaches that deserve to be hired. Uh, Brian Leftwich got Tom Brady another Super Bowl. Uh, Eric Bieniemy got Patrick Mahomes a Super Bowl. Jim Caldwell took the Detroit Lions to the playoffs one year uh, with a winning record. At the end of the day, these past performances should be respected. These, it's like looking at your resume. So past performances as coaches should absolutely be uh, considered while when hiring for positions. Next, create a training program for lower level black coaches who have an aptitude for coaching like an internship. I love this. It's exactly like an internship. Uh, let's say, take Chris Richard. He was the secondary coach while the Legion of Boom was terrorizing the league as the number one defense, arguably of all time. He was the secondary coach. And yet every time he's tried to be a defensive coordinator, just besides the one year he did it in Seattle, every year he's tried to be a defensive coordinator, he's either been blocked relegated to just being a secondary coach or a defensive backs coach despite having head coaching interviews and opportunities has never been given even an offer to have uh coaches like that go through a program like an internship um to get the next level is exactly the type of thing that should be on a coaching resume that should be considered to making a good decision with a coach Next, incentivize the retention and hiring of black GMs, head coaches, and other positions, like giving additional salary cap or draft compensation. Like I said, they expanded on the Rooney, the Rooney rule a few years ago by saying that coaches, teams that hire coaches, black coaches, or black or minority individuals into player, uh, into personnel positions or GM or head coach, they were given draft picks. I believe it was like third round picks. Um, giving additional salary cap now people may argue all right well now you're just going to start hiring a bunch of coaches uh, just to get an extra draft pick you know i say so what who cares how they get in the door get them in the door you know and if you're if they're complaining about the draft capital the right to draft more players or better players because of their draft picks then the salary cap is absolutely an option let's say you get a black head coach and he stays in a black head coaching position for three years and they grant that team maybe another twenty or thirty thousand dollars to the salary cap. That makes a huge difference. Well, maybe not that little. Maybe like five hundred thousand dollars to the salary cap. That makes a huge difference, and it's absolutely a, a good decision to make. And last, the last thing that I saw that he was asking on here: complete transparency with all positions in regards to minorities. At the end of the day, he's asking for all he can get. Transparency. Why are you hiring this person? Why are you firing this person? Why are you not hiring this person? Why are you not bringing in more of these people for an interview? Minorities have absolutely been discriminated against in the NFL. Now let's talk about uh, the integration process. Let's talk about the history of, of African Americans in the NFL and the NFL affiliates before they were the merged NFL. Between 1920 and 1926, only nine black players were permitted to the league, only to fill out roster spots, not because of talent, not because of any other reason, because they needed to fill out some roster spots. During 1927 and 1933, no more than one black player was in the league. 
The NFL used the absence of black players as a gentleman's agreement to ban black players entirely. Essentially, they were saying there's no black players in the league, so why should we accept it? This was led by the Redskins owner at the time, George Preston. Surprise, surprise. It wasn't until 1946 that the black players re-entered the league, and only for some teams like the LA Rams that were previously the Cleveland Rams to follow the Supreme Court ruling of Plessy versus Ferguson uh, that banned segregation in places of public accommodation, only allowing at least one black player to join. It seemed like after Plessy versus Ferguson, when Supreme Court made those rulings, it's for a time there was only allowed that one black player was allowed to be on the team. The Rams signed two black players in 1946, but then two more years went by before another black player was signed. In 1950, fewer than half the team signed a black player, and it wasn't until a decade later that the Redskins signed its first black player. It wasn't until 1960. That was not that long ago. 1950 they still hadn't signed a black player 1960 wasn't until they signed a black player 1959 <clears throat> 13 years after starting the integration process only 12% of the league was black that's incredible in 1959 13 years after starting the integration process only 12% of the league was black next teams that stacked black teams stacked black players so that they would be eliminated at competition of roster cuts also, less compensation for the black players that were on the roster compared to their white counterpart counterparts. So at the end of the day, you bring in six black players, you put them all at the defensive tackle position and tell them we only meet, we can only keep three. And that was your way of essentially putting a ceiling on the a very, very low ceiling on the amount of black players you can have. Next, protests and outrages forced the league to engage in a genuine racial integration. Plus the emergence of more racially progressive leagues like the AAFC and the AFL and the success of minority athletes in college football. Look up the story of Paul Bear Bryant. I believe he was a head coach of Alabama when the integration process was going on during college football. None of the players wanted to integrate. None of the coaches wanted to integrate. Essentially, they were being forced to buy college football. So what Paul Bear Bryant did was he challenged another team. I don't remember what the other team was. He challenged another team that was an all-black team to a football game. They got destroyed. That was a huge uh, turning point in the integration process for college football. Black athletes were very successful at the college level. Very successful. Um, also, leagues like the AAFC and the AFL um, were way more progressive with their minority policies. So you were seeing black athletes and minority athletes go to these other leagues and achieve true success. The NFL was losing money by doing that. What did that prompt? The merger. Interesting. So were you merging because you wanted to bring in integrative, uh, progressive integrative ideas? Or were you merging because the NFL was struggling for money compared to all the other black dollars that was going to the other leagues? Something to think about. In 1969, when Tim Marshall died, uh, the Redskins owner, uh, he died with the stipulation that they established the Redskins Foundation on the grounds that it barred any money to be spent on racial integration. The Redskins were absolutely the last team to integrate. It was so much so, and I think I put on here that, it was that the Redskins were forced to integrate. And they were forced to integrate under the threat that they would be disbanded if they didn't integrate some black players. 
It took 40 years for the league to accept black players at the quarterback position like Warren Moon and Randall Cunningham in the 80s. In the 80s, people. It took 43 years for the first black head coach to be hired in Art Shell. It took 54 years for the NFL to hire a black GM in Ozzie Newsom, who just retired either last year or the year before for the Ravens. And it, it's 76 years to now, and there has never been a black owner. In 1962, the Redskins was forced to integrate because they pushed so hard not to, by law, and was threatened with disbandment of the team. That's some of the history. Let's talk about more recent history. The Colin Kaepernick protest. Colin Kaepernick at first was sitting down during the national anthem. Then he had a meeting with some veterans that said that that was very disrespectful. And they came to the hesitant agreement that the best solution was to kneel. So Colin Kaepernick started kneeling. Eric Reed started kneeling. Other players around the league started kneeling. Locking arms, showing solidarity, not just for military personnel, but for racial injustices. That was the agreement. It did not start with Colin Kaepernick just kneeling and, and choosing to be disrespectful like everybody says. This is how the NFL and how everybody in racism continues to uh, continue to get away with the way that they treat black people and minorities. They don't do it by, do, by being outright like oppressive. They do it by controlling the narrative. They do it by convincing the world that there really isn't a problem even though there is. John Gruden's emails. He was fired last year. Why? Because since 2011, he had been sending emails back and forth to different owners and different presidents and different coaches, making fun of all types of people, making fun of Caitlyn Jenner for being transgender, making fun of players uh, for coming out uh, as homosexual and gay, making uh, making fun of uh, black players for the weight that their lips are. He said, Dave Maurice Smith, the president of the Na National Football League Players Association, has lips the size of Michelin tires. He stated that the players protesting should be fired interesting because when john gruden uh when the protests were going on john gruden was not a coach those are the facts people those are the facts racial disparity in the nfl is just but one example racial disparity it, it, it expands into all sports it expands into all aspects of life and the reason why i chose why i'm so passionate to talk about this topic the reason why i'm so passionate to talk about brian flores and why he's suing the nfl is because of the risk colin kaepernick protested and got blackballed so what he had a few opportunities where he could have joined a team if he really really wanted to well you know what at that point when you're making that big of a difference do you really really want to brian flores is putting his coaching career on the line with this like i said there there are five more black there are five more head coaching opportunities vacant right now he very well could have been one of those last coaches hired. He got three three interviews in and said, there's a good chance I won't get a job. He's putting his career on the line right now, trying to make this difference. And he's got that support from black athletes, from black coaches, from, from black uh, public figures. You saw all the outpour of support while he was first putting this action out into the public yesterday. He's putting his coaching career on the line. If this doesn't go well, there's a... I would say there's a 99% chance that he will never coach again. But at the end of the day, when you look at the, the resume of a coach like Brian Flores, he absolutely deserves an opportunity, as do some of these other coaches. If they show the aptitude to be a good coach, why are they not getting an opportunity? 
Adam Gase has been on the on the, the head coaching rotation for years, and he's never been a good coach. Ever. When I see examples like that, it pisses me off. It should piss you off. Because at the end of the day, this is this is our life. These are the disparities that we have to deal with top to bottom. You're talking about millionaires and billionaires oppressing one black head coach for being a good black head coach and not wanting to lose when they tell him to lose. But black people face things like this every day. I could go on and on and on about this topic. But at the end of the day, the reason why we're talking about Brian Flores today, the reason why we're talking about the Miami Dolphins and the head coaching disparities in uh, the NFL today is because we need to take these problems face to face. We need to understand exactly what we're looking at. It's not about protest. It's not about you painting end racism and putting no more hate on the back of players' jerseys and changing the end zones. It's not about you changing the street names in Washington. It's not about you giving giving Martin Luther King a statue. Live what Martin Luther King said. It's not about you putting these, these, uh, these band-aids on all of these protest problems. I went to seven, eight different protests, five of them in a row, while they were going on in 2020. What has happened since then? Nothing. They changed some street names. Some money got put around. The disparities still continue. There's still no progression of black people as a whole. Now listen, I'm not one of those people that's expecting change. In fact, I fully accepted the fact that we may not see the change. It won't be in our lifetime. But the only thing harder than building the stepping stones to continue the progress is covering the stepping stones in oil. We take two steps forward, take one step back. At the end of the day, to somebody like me, two step forward and one step back is still two steps back because progress is continuous. It's not paused. It's not something that that is that happens when it's convenient. It's not something that that's supposed to happen just because it looks good or because the campaign money for equality will bring in more money for uh, whatever um, whatever group or organization that's that's putting that advertisement out there. Equality can't be advertised. It's achieved. We can't sit around looking at these disparities continue to happen and not doing anything about it. We're talking about head coaches in the NFL. We're talking about majority black players in the NFL. Look at everything else. We need more black doctors. We need more black lawyers. More black politicians that are not Ben Carson. More black politicians that have an actual chance of running things. I can go on a tangent about this forever, but I won't because we're 45 minutes into recording and I got to shave this down to however long I think it would be for people to pay attention and actually listen. Because at the end of the day, when I continue to see these problems arise, it simply shows to me that people aren't listening. (sighs) And just like Brian Flores, just like all aspects of oppression and protest, at the end of the day, the loudest voices will be the voices of the unheard. You can blackball these people as much as you want, but you can't silence them. So I encourage everybody listening to this, take something from this, add the, add the stats, add the statistics, add the history, add, the, add the, what I'm preaching to you into your mind, into your perspective, and let it, let it shape differently the way that you see the black disparity in America. Because it's large and it's controlled. And at the end of the day, coaches like Brian Flores, coaches like Mike Tomlin, coaches like David Culley, Steve Wilkes, Jim Caldwell, the list goes on and on and on. 
Vance Joseph, Todd Bowles, they all deserve an opportunity. A head coach's job is to believe in their players. A head coach's job is to inspire. A head coach's job is to cultivate growth. It's hard to do that in a majority black league when there are no black head coaches. How is that possible? Maybe you're listening to this and say that I'm completely wrong. Maybe you are. I wouldn't be saying this if I felt that I was. My hope is that somebody listening to this is sharing the way that I'm preaching about it. And my my other hope is that somebody that may not have thought about these situations the way that I'm talking about them can listen to this and be like, you know, I never thought about it that way. (sighs) That's going to be it for the end of the Jim Merrill podcast episode today. Um, I just want to let you guys know that it's Black History Month. I'm going to be the next episode I'm planning on being is going to be talking about top 10 black athletes that you should know in history. A ton of black athletes that, that, that a lot, I'm ashamed to say a lot of black people that I know don't know about. And that's what the next uh, podcast episode is going to be about. Those black athletes, 10 black athletes that you should know and why they're important. It's been very, it's been my pleasure to talk about this today. So have a good day, everybody. Have a good Wednesday, and I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.